With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Yes, folks, a little of Af- out of Africa from the great John Barry, the legendary composer, giving us our intro tonight here at Wrestling Debate for episode number 31. Welcome to the Wednesday night debate show. How are I'm your host, the Ice Manager, DJ Alma, 1724-444-7044, caller ID 139925-POUND, and you can join us right now. Usually we have three people at the debate table, but because of circumstances out of our control and because of some personal minor issues, however, we're going a little different here tonight on the show. And with me, however, is my raw radio compadre, if you will, giving us uh, our moment tonight, however, here at the debate table, which should be a great one, however. Let us bring him in now from Front Royal Virginia, the human suplex machine, if you will, John Gross. John, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. As am I, and of course we got a lot to debate on tonight, so we're going to talk about it right now, ladies and gentlemen, in more ways than one. Tonight we're going to bring up, since the Survivor Series is coming up this Sunday live, ladies and gentlemen, on the WWE Network, live from the Air Canada Center in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, we decided to take a look at the great moments, the not-so-great moments, and well, let's just say the most unusual moments in the past 30-some years of the Survivor Series, and I can name... 10 good reasons why the Survivor Series has been one of the top four pay-per-views year in and year out. We're going to give you our thoughts, how we love to hear from you all here tonight, here on the debate show. So let's get started, shall we? My number 10, however, is a very unique one, ladies and gentlemen. We have to go all the way back to maybe the year 1987, for the very first one. However, it was held in Richfield, Ohio, at the Richfield Coliseum, the same day that Starcade, however, actually had their Chicago show that moved out of the North Carolina and Georgia regions, if you will. And as a result, Survivor Series that very night, however, had a very unique, interesting show pitting Hulk Hogan and his team 
against a, a unique team of Andre the Giant and his team. But what made this most unusual, folks, however, is that prior to that, however, the WrestleMania, however, along with uh, pretty much uh, anything else, however, had been one of the big, big things for the WWE. That being said, the Survivor Series became the second big thing for the WWE by hosting their first ever Royal Rumble. Here, excuse me, not Royal Rumble, the Survivor Series here on this night. However, competing with the Crockett organization, who earlier in the day, however, actually had their show, which was then known as Starcade in Chicago. I mean, you talk about two world champions competing on the same show. We had Hulk Hogan in Richfield, Ohio for the WWF at the time. We had Ric Flair in the WCW, then known as the National Wrestling Alliance, competing in Chicago at Starcade. So uh, talk about a conflict of interest, if you will, let's just say. John, your thoughts about number 10 here. Oh, I've watched countless of times on the WWE Network. Yes. And do you think, however, back then, however, that we did not know we would see a war between the two federations? I mean, considering the fact, however, that shortly after this, Starcade bumped their uh, show to December rather than November, considering they actually started out doing shows in November back in the 70s and 80s down there in the Carolinas? Not really, but we would see it on in the 90s. Yes, we would definitely see it during the 90s in primetime television, let's just say, however. And, of course, that was a very uh, unique time in itself. Of course, WWF, of course, would start a Monday night show that we would know as Monday Night Raw. WCW, of course, would go on to host their own Monday Night Show knows Monday Night Show, of course, at the time, as we mentioned. Starcade, of course, had been uh, hosted back in the, seven, or in the early 80s, however, in the Carolinas, most notably Greensboro, North Carolina, and for a short time in Atlanta, Georgia, as well, at the legendary Omni, if you will. But back then in the 70s and into the early 80s, they used to have big uh, Thanksgiving night shows at the legendary Greensboro Coliseum, as well as Charlotte, North Carolina, and all over the South, including places like the Richmond Coliseum, uh, among other places. So go figure. So there you go. That is my number 10 moment. My number nine moment is another unusual one, if you will. However, and we go back to 1990, ladies and gentlemen, however, and let's just say it was the birth, however, of one of the most well, weirdest gimmicks, if you will, however, in wrestling history. The Gobbly Gooker, if you will. Yes, folks, the Gobbly Gooker, uh, better known to you all as Hector Guerrero, how, was in a turkey outfit, how, and well, let's just say, tried to impress the WWF audience that night by dressing up as a turkey, and well, he looked like a turkey, no pun intended, as a result. Uh, this gimmick is considered by many to be one of the worst gimmicks of all time. I just was not a fan of it. I had a chance to go back and rewatch this not that long ago, and i got to say, it just didn't put a smile on my face whatsoever. Uh, John, your thoughts about the gobbledygooker well, at number nine? I didn't put a smile on my face either when I saw that on the network. Yes. And uh, thank God they only did it one time because had they uh, stuck with that gimmick, I don't know what we would have been in for. But uh, this was only a one-night appearance, so uh, there you go. Number eight, ladies and gentlemen, was another unique moment. Of course, this was an interesting moment here now as we turn into the positive uh, outlook now, ladies and gentlemen. And we're going to take you back to the year 
1990 again, this time the birth of one of John's favorites and one of my favorites, if you will, the Hall of Fame legendary Dead Man, The Undertaker making his debut. the Hall of Fame legendary Undertaker. Yes. He made his debut that night, of course. It was a very, very unique moment. And, of course, Ted DiBiase brought him in to make an impact. And, boy, did he make an impact that night, ladies and gentlemen, in his first ever Survivor Series. Your thoughts about this one? Oh, man. Did he ever make an appearance in the WWE? Did he ever? I mean, when you heard that that eerie music, you were looking at a phenomenon. Yes, you were. And, of course, he was a pretty good wrestler back in the late 80s, too, in the WCW, managed by Paul Heyman, known as me, Mark Callis. Uh, of course, uh, he was also managed for a time with Teddy Long. But once he got into WWE, however, in the early 90s, however, it looked like um, we were in for a bumpy ride. Well, for the next 25-plus years, however, we saw a lot of uh, unique moments in the dead man, if you will. Some good, some bad, and we'll talk more about those as we continue on here. Uh, that being said, uh, that is what my number eight moment is. But before we continue on, ladies and gentlemen, let's give you the number again, one seven two four 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 seventy forty four. Call ID one three nine nine two five. Of course, coming up at nine o'clock, myself along with GTS or T Smith, who's also usually one of our regulars here, but again, due to circumstances beyond our control and the Black Widow mismanaged herself, Michelle Lynn Dodds who is under the weather, we understand, and hopefully Michelle is starting to get better again. As we understand, she's been battling the flu for the past two weeks. However, we just want to say, Michelle, we've been missing you and Gerard at the debate table. We hope you're back with us next week before Thanksgiving, and uh, hopefully uh, you'll have some good stuff to bring to the table. But uh, I want to thank uh, John Gross for filling in for me tonight. However, as he has got some moments here, he'll share with us here momentarily. So uh, stay tuned, folks. We're just getting started. And speaking of Gerard and Michelle, this Saturday night, ladies and gentlemen, beginning at 7 p.m. Howard, join the NXT trio of GTS, MLD, and yes, the Iceman give you their predictions, and maybe, who knows, John might even leave some messages in the chat box on Attitude Radio, 138982, a special Attitude Radio at 7 o'clock, ladies and gentlemen. We'll get you set up for NXT TakeOver, which begins at 8 p.m. bell time, but at 7 o'clock we will be on with a special NXT prediction show, and then this Sunday, ladies and gentlemen, Gerard, myself, Michelle, John and the rest of the gang will be having a very special edition of Survivor Series. Yes, folks, before 7 o'clock hits, join us at 5 o'clock on Revolution 138055 Pound, and we will take you on the air with us. It's Mr. Lowe, Chad Inch, I'll be getting some bets in also, along with the rest of our panelists, and talk about what should be a very exciting show coming up this Sunday evening from the Air Can Center in Toronto, as they will be back there for the second time in as many nights, this time to cover the Survivor Series. It should be a very interesting show and we'll talk more about that coming up later on tonight here on revolution in just about less than an hour from now here on talkshoe.com okay with that said folks let's go now to lucky number seven yes folks lucky number seven what could it be out of the Iceman's uh bag of tricks here shall we say well he's got a good one here folks and I'm going to say number seven is a good moment here in itself, ladies and gentlemen. It is going to be Brett the Hitman Hart taking on Shawn Michaels from 1992, the first time they met in Richfield, Ohio. No, not the one that happened five years later, although we'll talk more about that here as we go along here in our countdown. Uh, number seven here was the very first meeting between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart at Survivor Series, and that, of course, was back in uh, November of 1992, a great moment in more ways than one, I would have to say. 
Uh, just a great match altogether. Of course, Bret Hart also has our number six moment here as well, ladies and gentlemen, in taking on Big Daddy Cool Diesel, however, there at the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland, not far from John's hometown, if you will. Uh, John, your thoughts about number seven and number six here involving the hitman, Bret Hart? Both of those matches proved to be one of Bret Hart's famous Survivor Series matches. They were infamous. Uh, I had the 1995 Survivor Series on my VHS, Mm -hmm. and uh, I watched that match over and over again, and what a courageous effort Bret put in by stopping Diesel's reign as champion. Yes, yes, indeed, and, and it was a very interesting match. And Brett even talked about that. I remember t- some other people on the radio, uh, uh, not just our uh, our show, Radio Network, but other different radio networks shows in the past, uh, from Between the Ropes to RussellZone.com, uh, with other people, and including the show Live Audio Wrestling up there in Canada. He said that going into that show that night against Diesel, he was not feeling very well. He was a little feverish. He was under the flu bug, if you will, and had a temperature of 102, but he still got it out and sweated it out and somehow got the title back around his waist, if you will, by stopping the big daddy cools reign, if you will, Diesel, and taking home the WWF Championship once more. Uh, I would have to agree with that. 92, as I said, was a great match, too, with him and uh, Sean the first time they met. Uh, some very historic uh, chemistry there, and of course, it would carry over throughout the rest of the decade, however, between these two and at times they would uh, not be the best of buds, but they would kind of be respecting each other, if you will. And, of course, that would all change, as we'll tell you why here, coming up as we continue our countdown here tonight here on The Debate. Uh, next, folks, we're going to go to lucky number five. And number five is another great moment, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to turn up the heat again. This time we're going to take you back to the year... Um, 1991, if you will, and again, it involves the dead man. Yes, folks, The Undertaker taking on Hulk Hogan. Of course, Ric Flair helping The Undertaker secure his first championship belt, although this would come at a very interesting controversial price, if you will, when Ric Flair knocked out figurehead Jack Tunney. As a result, Flair helped The Taker win the belt, Taker, of course, then was told by uh, basically Jack Tunney he would have to defend the belt as Hogan demanded a rematch. The same sort of circumstances happened again, but this time Hogan won the belt, however, back away from The Undertaker at this Tuesday in Texas, two weeks after the Survivor Series 91. Uh, John, your thoughts about this one? Oh, oh man. When The Undertaker walked in at that Joe Lewis Arena, you could feel feel like we were going to have a new WWE champion right then and there because Hulkamania dominated the 1980s, and as the 1990s were coming up, you could tell the WWE had really gotten tired of growing growing into Hulkamania, but they still loved him. Oh, yeah. They just were tired of him being straight to the top one more time. Oh, yes. And there was a lot of controversy around this time, too, involving the scandal that Vince McMahon would be superseding six months later, and uh, it became apparent that uh, WWE at one time would be out of business, however, because of this and of all the incidents that were involving Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon behind the uh, ropes, if you will, and behind the uh, curtain. But uh, fortunately, uh, that uh, all changed, and that was saved, however, despite it came at a little bit of a price, if you will, let's just say. Up next, ladies and gentlemen, is our number four moment, and here's number four in my eyes. 
I would have to say my number four favorite moment has to go back almost four years ago to 2012, the night CM Punk and Ryback met each other in the ring in Indianapolis, Indiana. And that night, folks, we saw three gentlemen, three gentlemen that had been making an impact down in NXT, in Florida Championship Wrestling, and uh, in the independent scene. They were known as Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins, a.k.a. Tyler Black, and Roman Reigns, however, however. As a result, they would be known as The Shield. And as a result, these three gentlemen were like a pack of jackals, a.k.a. the NWO, Hall, Nash, and Hogan, revisited in a way, but in a different way, however. As a result, they helped CM Punk retain the belt, however, and laid out Ryback. But the big question is, however, who were these three gentlemen associated with? Why did they show up the way they did, however? I mean, what um, orders were they given? I mean, we really didn't know, however, and we would find out over the next few months, however, as well as the coming year, year and a half ahead, however, what these guys stood for. But uh, the Shield making an impact their first night in, laying out Ryback, helping CM Punk find a way to retain the belt, although many people are wondering, however, why couldn't he do it on his own? Uh, John, your thoughts about the debut of the Shield? They were definitely, indeed, jackals. And if uh, you think about it, if... If this were to happen, yes. Paul Heyman and CM Punk could have just joined up with the Shield. And there's a theory of this in my story, in my storyline, how I would have put the Shield perfectly. Please tell us. All right, you remember when AJ Lee and and John Cena were supposedly having an affair earlier that summer? Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. Well, what if the Shield? installed that camera to go after to to be hired by Vicky Guerrero. Yeah. And one of the Shield and one of the Shield, CM Punk, Paul Heyman, and Vicky Guerrero all joined forces. Yes. Oh yes. That's a good point. That's a, that's a very, very good point. It it could have been, yeah. A lot of people were not sure what these guys stood for and if they were part of Paul Heyman's group at the time or not. But like we said, they were sort of like the NWO coming in unannounced, however, and just making a big splash their first night in. And like we said, boy, howdy, did they ever make a splash? All right, they definitely showed what they were made of that night, however, in Indianapolis. Um, up next, folks, is our number three moment, however. And our number three moment, ladies and gentlemen, takes you back, however, to 1993, however, in the match involving the hitman Bret Hart's family, however, Owen Hart and his, well as Bret Hart and his entire brothers, however, taking on Shawn Michaels and his, uh, let's just say guys, if you will. But the big story here is that Owen Hart, however, was not very happy that Bret and his team won, and as a result, this would set up a feud between Bret and Owen that would culminate at WrestleMania 10 as well as SummerSlam the following year. Your thoughts about this one? My thoughts exactly on... On the match itself, yes. Um, I didn't think honestly Owen would turn on Brett. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, given given the fact that he lost, mm-hmm. and given the fact that Owen accidentally shoved Brett, accidentally Owen accidentally went into Brett. Yes. I think Owen was there that frustrated, and you could see it was the beginning of a long long run for Owen Hart. Oh, yes. Definitely. Definitely. 
No question about it. No question about it. And, uh, of course, as we said, folks, these two would have two tremendous matches the following year. Of course, the first being at uh, WrestleMania 10, the same night that Bret would win the WWF title back away from Yokozuna after competing with Owen earlier in the evening in one of the best matches of the card. And then, of course, uh, the Steel Cage battle in Chicago uh, the following August in uh, the Steel Cage. Very, very intense match, to say the least. Uh, up next, ladies and gentlemen, is our second uh, interesting moment, if you will, that was very unique, however. And I would have to turn the clock again back to 2001, the night the Alliance, of course, fought Team WWE. Of course, uh, the Alliance consisting of Stone Cold Steve Austin and his team. But the real story here is, of course, what happened the night after Survivor Series. Paul Heyman, as you know, had been announcing for six months with WWE, of course, sitting with Jim Ross after Jerry the King Lawler had walked out of the company due to some issues, however, personally related to management, and uh, he would make his return to the announce desk, however, the night after Survivor Series. But uh, the whole invasion thing, however, WWE, WCW, and ECW, I mean, there were some good moments and some good matches at times. But uh, overall, however, the one big surprise came at the end of the night, however, it wasn't that Jerry the King Lawler returned. It was Ric Flair showing up unannounced, and telling Vince McMahon, however, well, he had just bought Shane and Stephanie's so-called stock in the alliance, if you will, and now was partners with Vince McMahon. And uh, I remember Vince's expression, how he was just like grabbing his ear and his jaw was like real like surprised in that. But uh, yeah, there were some pretty big surprises that night uh, there on the aftermath of Survivor Series 2001. Your thoughts about this? Right, and... Uh... And admittedly, when I saw this on the pay-per-view last night, last that night, I was jumping up and down because I didn't want Team Alliance to win. Right. And and I certainly didn't expect Team WWE not to lose because there was no way Team WWE was going to lose. Yeah, definitely. No question. Well, it was very interesting. Um, what did you think about Paul Heyman as an announcer? Prior I think Paul, speaking, I, I think uh, he did back. a I think but, he did a good job as an announce as an announcing role. Yeah, I thought he did okay too. I mean, I mean, there were times I did question it, and I think we all did. But overall, yeah, he did pretty good. I thought, although it didn't seem like Jr. and him really saw eye to eye on a lot of things most of the time. What's that? Uh, I was talking to my dad. Oh, Katie. Yeah, I'm still, yeah, I'm still here. Alright. Okay, and now, ladies and gentlemen, we will go to our number one moment of the uh, Survivor Series history, one that has been talked about numerous times over, many times over. It'll be 20 years next November that we're going to be talking about this. We've talked about it uh, within the last week or so. It was 19 years ago, a week and a half ago, that this happened, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, too. Uh, of course, we saw what happened at WrestleMania in March of 1996, the 60-minute Iron Man match. We know what happened in November of 97. I talked about it in the one of our archive pages. By the way, of course, Bret Hart was on his way to WCW after apparently telling Vince McMahon that he was seeking uh, to go elsewhere, even though he did not want to go. We saw what happened in the so-called main event. If you have not seen Wrestling Shadows, shame on you. You owe it to yourself to check it out. It's a very fascinating movie, and it's, well... Let's just say a little intense, let's just say in parts, however. But for the most part, it's a very good movie. 
And, of course, they talk about how Brett uh, decided to get out of WWF because he was tired of Vince McMahon and Shawn Michaels BSing him or lowballing him at the time. Of course, a lot has changed since then. But back then, however, Bret Hart felt that he was getting snowballed time and time again by management as well as the fans here in the States. He felt that other people throughout the rest of the world, like Canada and other places in the world, respected and admired him, and that's true. But people in the U.S., of course, really didn't uh, give too diddlies about Bret. In fact, I remember one of the comments he made, however, was uh, what he said in Pittsburgh on a Monday Night Raw show. However, and I think, John, you know what comment I'm talking about, uh, about the world's biggest uh, crapper, let's just say, being flushed right here in uh, Pittsburgh. And, of course, uh, I was at that show that night. I remember when he made those comments. And I'll tell you what, I was so irate when he made those comments. And even now, watching back on it many years later, I still get irate with those comments that he said in my hometown that night. That was one of the most despicable comments I think I've ever heard Brett say. And I think a lot of people really started to lose their respect more and more for the hitman. But uh, uh, whether you love or hate him, however, uh, it's entirely your opinion, just like it is with all of us here uh, throughout the world. But uh, that being said, however, Bret Hart and Sean since then have made up, kissed and made up, made peace with one another. But back then, it wasn't all uh, sunshine and roses and happy uh, rainbows, let's just say. So we like to say it was an all-out, uh, no-holds-barred... Uh, or butterflies, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, John. And it was just uh, basically all-out war. It was uh, like chemical warfare, if you will. Uh, your thoughts about this one? You got to look at it from your perspective, from a perspective, J.D., all the backstage drama that went on between Brett and Sean, including uh, Sonny, including Brett having an affair with Sonny. I mean, Sean yep. accusing Brett yep. of having an affair with Sonny, who was, uh, I think, who was split from Chris Candido at, Candido at the time, but I think they reunited after that. Because if you remember on a Raw show, Brett, Sean exclaimed that even though you've had sunny days, Mm-hmm. You still can't get the job done. Yes, no question about it. Good. And then Sean and Brett kind of just just had a backstage fight. I think Sean got suspended for it. He could have gotten released too, as well. As well. Right. Oh yes. It. No question about it. And that. then they patched things up in the fall with Brett about to go to leave WCW. And then they just kind of sat down and said, how do we do this? How how do we do this? How do we do this? Mm-hmm. Do we have Brett walking out with the belt and taking the WCW? Or do we see Brett leave, leaving the Survivor Series and then coming back on the show after Raw and saying, that's it. That's it. I'm done. I'm going to another wrestling show. So here's the bell. Well, the original plan, I remember hearing the story. I mean, they wanted Brett originally to drop the title, I remember, the next night after Montreal, and then Brett could go on his way, however. And from there, he would be on his way to WCW. But I think what happened was Vince was worried, however, being like a reminiscent of what happened, however, back in December of 95 when Medusa, a.k.a. Alundra Blaze or Medusa Michelli, whatever you want to call her, however, actually basically went out there and threw the trash, basically threw the woman's championship belt in the trash, however, and told everyone she thought of WWF at the time. And I think, uh, like I said, how a lot of people felt that, that they didn't want to see the same thing all over again, you know? And I think yeah. 
that's that's the main thing. I think they were upset about that. They felt they that she would betray them. However, uh, Brett would betray his company. He would betray the thing. He had missed only two shows in 14 years. He'd become by way of Stampede Wrestling, of course, in the mid-'80s. But like we said, he had been in all big, high-profile matches over the years, whether it be a WrestleMania, a Survivor Series, a Rumble, a um, King of the Ring, if you will. I mean, he did it all. And like I said, when he did that, however, it just... I mean, I think... It kind of, for a while, woke up the WWE from its sleep, if you will. By that, I mean they were half asleep, half awake at times because WCW was killing them in the wars with the NWO of Hall, Nash, and those guys, and Hogan. But once I think Brett jumped ship to go down to Atlanta, however, from New York, however, I think management just didn't know what to do with him. He even talked about it in one of his DVDs, however, that management at times just did not know what to do with him because... I mean, when um, and this is before Russo and Ferrara came aboard, however, and Russo, of course, had been one of his uh, writers in WWE at the time, too. But at, before that, I mean, Eric Bischoff didn't know what to make of him. How are you to know if you could put him in the ring with guys like Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall? I mean, some of these guys who had been in New York prior, however, like Hall and Nash and uh, X-Pac, who was on his way back to WWE at the time, uh, were in WWE. Oh. And they had been heard from like guys like Shawn Michaels and Triple H and other people in WWE that Brett was very difficult to work with. He was a mean uh, uh, bully. I mean, he was used to getting his own way. He felt that he should be uh, getting the same respect as a Hogan, a Savage, a Flair. And, you know, that's fine and good, but at the same time, however, he took on guys, however, that he had heard about or had actually been uh, working with over the years, however, not just in WWE, but other places outside of WWE, like in Japan, i.e. Chris Benoit, i.e. Uh, Eddie Guerrero, stuff like that, you know. It's just, I think Brett really kind of, uh, I wouldn't say his time was happy in WCW. I mean, I think it was a mixed bag at best. I mean, the only time I think he ended up being really happy, and it was only for a short time, was when he won the title at Mayhem in 99 in Toronto, his backyard over Benoit. I mean, this was about, this was a rough year for him, if you remember. I mean, he had lost Owen earlier in the spring due to that accident. And uh, at the time, he was contemplating his future in the business. He really was. He had been in the business almost about 15, 16 years. Owen had just passed away. He took about three or four months off to spend time with his family and his kids. He had gone through a real messy divorce at the time of his marriage and his ex-wife. And then, of course, uh, his mom and dad apparently were not getting uh, uh, getting up there in years as far as health issues go. And, of course, he had also lost his brother-in-law, the great British bulldog, Davy Boy Smith. That had also been a big blow to him. But I think what really kind of changed everything is once Russo and Ferrara stepped in to work with WCW and after Bischoff had been bounced out in September of 99, once they moved in from New York and had moved south, like Brett had done a few years before Howard to start writing uh, TV for WCW, I think Brett's uh, career started uh, skidding out of control. And getting, well, actually, I wouldn't say getting out of control. It started really changing and not for the better. It started really coming just um, out. It just really started getting really uh, slower. I mean, his push started getting uh, just not a big push anymore. It started uh, getting very little pushes and hardly any time to speak or even do any matches. I mean, I remember the one night, case in point, and I think you'll remember this too, John, is the night after Starkey 99, you know? He had fought Goldberg. He could be kicked in the head the night before. And then the next night, Russo, who at the time had not been yet seen on television and was not going to be seen on television, at least for another couple more months, 
mind you, by management, however, told Brett, however, to go out there and face Goldberg again. And you remember how irate, I mean, Brett was. I mean, he went on a total meltdown shit fit, no pun intended, uh, spiel on the back and cursing out Russo in the entire office. I mean, he was absolutely irate. And if I, can, if I, if I could find the clip, I'd play it because I can remember exactly how he was that night because he was absolutely irate at how Russo would do this to him. But then at the end of the night, what happens? Russo and him apparently, I guess, somehow, at least for that night, clicked, however, because apparently they would uh, start the NW2000 with him, Kevin Nash, Jeff Jarrett, Scott Steiner, and the Harris Brothers. And that was Agreed. And it was okay, but I mean, again, it was a short-term fix that just really never. Clicked. It was it was something. It was a desperate plea because by that time WWE was really starting to take off into the stratosphere because they had gotten guys like yeah. Jericho, Benoit, Guerrero, Malenko, uh, Big Show, all those guys, and they were just going up, up, up. And WWE was starting to sink down to the bottom of the uh, well, and they were fading fast. So. There you go. Um, now, that being said, those are my top ten. We're going to now go to your top ten while I'm working on something here. So let's hear your top ten. Okay. My top ten would have to be the one in a – hold on one second. I'll be right back, J.D. No problem. Wow. And, and while it's on soon, that, ladies and gentlemen, however – uh, we want to remind you, ladies and gentlemen, of course, on Friday night, you can listen to the Black Widow, Michelle Lindotts, and Gerard T. Smith, 139927-pound, with Women's Revolution. Every Friday night, the women talk about the greatest uh, sport that is, wrestling, whether it be UFC, MMA, TNA, ROH, WWE, or NXT. You definitely want to check that out uh, coming up this Friday. And, of course, every Friday night is on beginning at 8 p.m. Okay, I think John is now back with us now. So, John, let's go to you now with your uh, thoughts as far as the top ten goes. And while John's doing that, actually, John has stepped out, and John is going to be relatively back here in a few minutes here, folks. So let us continue to remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, right now, how on Facebook.com on the WCW uh um, I'm trying to find it here, ladies and gentlemen. I can tell you right now, you can check out uh, on the WCW uh, Radio Network page, ladies and gentlemen. We have a big tournament going on right now as we speak, however. And uh, right now there is a tournament going on to determine who will become the first ever WCW Universal Champion. We have 16 spots open. Okay, and all but five sp- Okay, John's back. But before we do that, ladies and gentlemen, we want to remind you, 11 of the 16 have signed up, Hella. Uh, and like I said, however, we are definitely going to remind you how to check us out. However, on Facebook.com, of course, 11 to 16 spots have been filled for the Universal Championship for the WCW uh, title, however, Universal title. Uh, you definitely want to check that out right now. 11 to 16 have already signed up. John and I are two of the 16 to sign up. We still have five spots left to convey, so you might want to check us out on Facebook.com. And, of course, Mr. W. Chad Hinshaw will talk about that. Coming up here in just a little bit here on Revolution. But right now, we're going to go back to John as he has his top ten moments for us right now. John, go right ahead. All right. Okay, while I'm doing that, uh, while I'm still doing that, I want to, uh, I'm going to hook up my Bluetooth. Okay, that's fine. Take your time. And just uh, let everyone know. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, this Monday and every Monday, you can join myself, John, and the rest of the panel 
Of course, uh, for our very special edition of Raw Radio this week, however, we will have a very special Thanksgiving uh, pre-edition of Raw Radio. Of course, we'll be going over the results of NXT TakeOver as well as Survivor Series Aftermath. Of course, we'll have your Raw ratings and predictions for you. Also, folks, we might have a little more fun over the last few weeks due to circumstances that have been beyond our control. However, we will try to get back you to you maybe more of the uh, Survivor Excuse me, not the Survivor, I should say. The um, trivia challenge of Seth Rollins, if you will. It's been delayed the last few weeks due to some personal oh, sure. issues. Okay, I'm here, John, now. Uh, but we can definitely let you know that hopefully uh, this Monday we will have uh, the Survivor Series. Uh, or should I say, yes, we'll have Survivor Series and NXT thoughts with you. And we'll also tell you about uh, what could be going down in the Seth Rollins challenge. We'll be able to have the Seth Rollins Trivia Challenge this week. Okay, so John has returned now, so now we're ready to go yep, with his top... Okay, so we're ready to go with his top ten, so John, get us your top ten right now. Alright, top ten would have to be... Um, Alright, I'm going to take this up a level here. Alright. Um, 2005, Team Raw versus Team SmackDown. Alright. Um, good elimination match. Uh, the reason why they came together is because um, Eric Bischoff pulled the plug on uh, the show, the SmackDown competitors fighting that Raw Homecoming, if you'll recall that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then SmackDown was very upset about that, so they went in to ask the Raw show with, uh, excuse me, they had JBL's music playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that cost Edge. Edge came out, speared JBL, and then it led to Tabby Tuesday with Team SmackDown victorious, leading the Survivor Series, and this was where Eddie Guerrero was supposed to be the uh, in right. this match, too. Yes, 2005, that's right. And admittedly, there could have been a matchup between Eddie and Sean as well. Oh, yes, that's right. Yes. Admittedly. That, yes, and that was in 2005, and sad to say we did lose Eddie tragically the month before. Yeah. Um, and then they were planning on having a match between them at uh, WrestleMania 22, if yeah, you remember. I was just, I, yeah, I was just going to say something about that, because yeah, I do remember hearing something about Eddie and Sean were supposed to fight that next year at Mania. There was some talk about that, I remember, yes. Yeah, there was definitely plans, but, you know, for Sean to come out in the end, yeah. only for Orton to um to win the uh, match. Yes. And then what you saw was the aftermath of the uh, match. Right. What about the Undertaker in that casket, emerging from that casket to get his hands on Randy Orton? That's right. I do remember that now. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, what do we got next? All right, number nine, the uh, casket match between Undertaker and Yokozuna in 1994. Yes, that was a good match. Where you had Chuck Chuck Norris come out. That's right. And uh, aid the Undertaker against all the... uh, Attackers who beat him up at the 1994 Royal Rumble and cost him the uh, match against Yokozuna. Yes. Then Undertaker came out and 
said that he was going to get revenge on them. Right. That's correct. On that Titan Tron. If I, that was one of the scariest moments in Raw his I mean in Royal Rumble history, if you recall. Yes. But then in that summer he reemerged. Yes. And wanted to get get his revenge on Yokozuna. And guess what? That night, Yokozuna rested in peace. Yes, and overall in real life too, he also rests in peace. A guy that we tremendously miss to this day. A very gentle giant with a big heart. However, although, however, he left us way too soon. Yeah, because of his because of his weight problems. Yes, he was a big guy, no doubt about it. All right, what do we got? Number eight. Number eight will have to be. Um, oh, this is going to be a good one. This is going to be good. 1992, one of the matches you mentioned. I'm going to go way back in time Yes. to go with the big boss man in nails. Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, that was the um, jail match, nice, wasn't it? Nice stick on a pole. Nice stick on a pole, that's right. Okay, yes, I remember that now. As if you remember, these two had a duel in rivalry with each other. Yes, that's right. And this story came about when Nails was arrested by the big big boss man. That's right. And then Nails is going to come back to attack the boss man, beat him up his nightstick, yeah. put boss man out of action. Boss man came back, though, and taught Nails a lesson in hard time, if you will. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And after that, Nails was gone. Yeah, but he also, in real life, I know, had some issues with Vince McMahon, too, because uh, there was some talk that him and Vince really uh, just had some butting of the heads, however, supposedly, and they really never saw eye-to-eye on a lot. Eye-to-eye. And, J.D.? Uh, yeah, I'm still here. I'm almost sitting. And uh, before we continue on, I just want to give you a quick pl- uh, plug here. Uh, I know it's uh, not related to wrestling, but uh, your boys, John, are beating my boys tonight in hockey as the Caps are up 3 nothing. as T.J. Oshie has three points so far as they are up here at the end of the first period, 3 nothing. <laughs> it's still early yet, though, but you know what, though? The Penguins are still pretty much doing well than the Caps, though. So, I mean, it's only the first time they've met this year, but T.J. Oshie, who... Uh, is a very good hockey player. At least it's not Ovechkin. It's definitely teaching Mr. Crosby and the uh, Pens a lesson tonight, although the Pens have done very well as of late. And also, ladies and gentlemen, a quick uh, side note, however, that the Coyotes right now of Arizona could be having a new deal for a stadium in East Valley, believe it or not, in Arizona. According to reports, the new 16,000-seat arena in Tempe is expected to be started in 2020 uh, we do not know if it be uh, located on Tempe Town, Temp- Tempe Town Lake. How many times can I say that? Too many times. But the overall price has not been triggered in yet. I imagine it's going to be uh, quite a bit of money. It's a very nice arena. I've already seen a picture of it right now, as they showed a picture of it online on Twitter today. So congratulations to the Arizona Cardinals, or not the Arizona Cardinals, the Arizona Coyotes, if you will, of getting a new hockey home facility. Okay, John, let's continue on. What is number seven? Number seven would have to be another doozy from 1994. Yes. And that would have to be the Bret Hart Bob Backlund submission match. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yes, and of course, 
That was uh, the return of Bob Backlund, of course, came 10 years after he last was a competitor in the WWE, of course. Uh, he won the title, of course, only to drop it about two weeks later to Diesel. But uh, you can thank uh, Bret Hart's brother Owen. I think Bret's mom threw the talent on that memorable night, I remember. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, she did. But, uh, yeah, very, very unique moment you picked there because, I mean, here's a guy, Bob Backlund, who competed back in the mid to late 70s, early 80s in the old WWF, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, a.k.a. Uh, WWF, as I said. But then, of course, they dropped the extra W and went short into WWF by uh, 1970, late 1979, early 1980s. So uh, talk about a very unique guy, Hall of Famer, Bob Backlund, taking on Bret Hart and, of course, uh, Bob Backlund winning the title, however, after he had dropped the title, however, originally the day after Christmas 1983, thanks to his manager, Arnold Skoland. And, of course, prior to this, I remember he uh, confronted his old manager, Arnold Skoland, on a recent Raw that year, I remember, and told him to apologize for what he had done many years before. And, of course, he apologized, and it looked like Backlund was ready to accept his apology, and then Backlund went psycho-ass crazy by putting him in the chicken wing and almost breaking his arm in the process, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's go to our next moment. All right. Number six. Uh, 1990, uh, 1999, when Stone Cold Steve Austin got hit by a car. Yes, another moment I forgot. You're right. And, of course, this would keep the Texas Rattlesnake out of action for quite a while including uh, WrestleMania 2000. I don't think he was not back until that summer, I remember, due to the injury he had suffered. No, he wasn't. He was out. He was out until the summer when he returned at Unforgiven. And then we later found out who the driver of that car was. Yes. Rikishi. Yes. And at the time, many people did not know if it was Rikishi. A lot of people blamed Triple H. A lot of people blamed The Rock. And, of course, uh, uh, of course, uh, it was said, I did it for The Rock. So go figure. There you go. Okay, what have we got at number five? Number five would have to be 1995. Yes. Probably one of the greatest matches in Survivor Series history. Yes. And that'd be the wild card match. The hardcore match? The wild card match. Oh, yes. Uh, who was in that wild card match? I forgot all about that. Yes. All right. It was Shawn Michaels. Yes. Ahmed Johnson. Yes. The British Bulldog. Yep. And Psycho Sid to take on Yokozuna, Owen Hart, Team Douglas, and Razor Ramon. That's right. And it's so funny because uh, Shawn would be within six months, however, the WWE champion. Uh, Dean Douglas, i.e. Shane Douglas, the franchise, of course, would not be around much longer after this due to the fact he could not stand either Scott Hall or Shawn Michaels and decided to walk out of the company altogether. Yeah, they kind of killed killed a lot of people's pushes. I mean, they killed Bam Bam's push. They killed Juan Tarlefeet's push. They killed Dean Douglas's push because for a while he was... uh, doing his thing with Scott Hall, if you remember, early that summer and early that fall he went with Sean. Of course, Sean had gotten into some trouble earlier that year or the year prior due to the incident uh, that happened after a Monday Night Raw show in a bar in Syracuse. We all know the story about that. But uh, it's just Shane Douglas, to me, never really got the proper, I would say, 
kudos he received. Respect. Respective kudos, yeah, in WWE. I mean, he made it bigger later on as the franchise in ECW when he swarmed up with a triple threat and did his thing, and then later on in WCW with joining the revolution, if you will, as sort of like a mouthpiece. But as far as the WWE goes, how he just never really caught on, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Um. Okay. All right, what's next? Um, I think we're, you're on number five now, right? Yeah, we are on number five. Okay, we're on number five, and John is going to rip through these five very quickly before we call the night here, so let's get into number five. Okay, number five would have to be, um, 2009, Kofi Kingston pulling off the upset. Yes. The Survivor Series miracle upset over, uh, Randy Orton and CM Punk. That's right. I forgot about that. Another great moment. Yes, good moment. Yeah, because Kofi, Kofi was a big time main event. Was about to, was a big mid card player until they decided, okay, let's try to move you up to the main event and see what you can do. And he did, um, he did pretty well. I remember that night. Yes. Yeah, he he was kind of pretty much the sole survivor. I mean, if you think about it, yes, him defeating. CM Punk and Randy Orton, true testament to Kofi Kingston's ability. Oh, yes. No question about it. And don't forget, six days before he did that, he hit that boom drop. That's right. Yes. At Madison Square Garden for the table on Randy Orton. That's right. I think that was on a house show because unless that was on – I don't think that was on Raw. That was at a house show, I remember, at MSG, Mm if if I remember correctly. Yes. Okay, number four. Number four would have to be uh, the Fairy to Live match between Undertaker and Vince. Yes, good moment there, good moment there. Uh, the Undertaker just, poor Vince. I mean, the Undertaker was just whooping his butt throughout yep. the Dallas Arena and everywhere, literally. And then when you find he was going to bury Vince alive, Undertaker had to know something was going to be up, yep. and sure enough, it did. Yep. And in the form of his own flesh and blood. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, of course, this, and would, this would set up the big Inferno match shortly down the road. No, this would set up Undertaker, the return of the dead man. Oh, okay. My mistake. Sorry about that. Okay, yes. Yep, Undertaker and Kane at WrestleMania 20. There you go. Okay, number three. Number three. All right. Number three. The big three. Um, the hell in a cell between Batista and The Undertaker. Oh, my God. That yes. sold the show, J.D. Great match. That was one of the yep. biggest Survivor Series show stealers in WWE history. I would have to agree. Yes, that was a very intense match. I remember that. And that believe it or not, was the first time Hell in a Cell would be held at Survivor Series. That's right. And talking about Batista, let me ask you this. I mean, we always talk about Batista and everything on all the shows. Do we see Dave Batista maybe showing back up next year, possibly? Yeah, maybe for one run, for one more run. That's possible. Hopefully. Yep. yep, possible. We'll see. Okay, number two. All right, number two. Stone Cold dropping Triple H from a forklift. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that one. Good one. Yes. I forgot all about that. Yep. I remember that because 
I think Triple H said in an interview a while back how when that uh, that match occurred, I remember, I think, the night Austin did it, I mean, when Austin made him land upside down of it, however, he almost cracked a few ribs in the process. Yeah. And I know I would but, be sore after that. I know there could have, there was, like, probably a stuntman in the car, but what Triple, uh, there was nobody in, I don't think there was no one in that car. I think Triple... There was Triple H's voiceover, mm-hmm. and from what I've seen, there may have been, like, no one in the car. Yeah. Like, no one was in it. Mm-hmm. So, Triple H might have escaped. I think he I don't did. Know. I, I think I remember hearing something he did, but I could be wrong. And before we get to number one, i got to take us two minutes out, so we'll get to number one in just a minute. So, hold horses. John, if you want to do the plug real quick, Howard, I'll be right back. Okay. One seven two four 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 seven four 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 one three nine nine two five pounds. Catch me and JD on this final hour here on wrestling debate. Of course, this was supposed to be JD and Gerard and Michelle, but due to circumstances beyond our control, we couldn't. They couldn't be here tonight. So I have the honor of stepping. Had the honor of stepping in and been a pretty good ride with JD here tonight and I'm glad I'm glad to help him out in any way. I was I'm real happy that I got to help him out. And uh here in a few moments folks we will be doing WCW US Revolution with our boss Mr. WCW US Chan Henshaw as we Take a look back on what happened on last night's SmackDown. Last night's SmackDown was a good show. I saw the viewership go up. It went into 2.725 million viewers with the return of The Undertaker and Edge. And if you saw The Undertaker give Team SmackDown a motivational speech, you're, you can set your DV if you did did. If you didn't go, did go out and saw and didn't see SmackDown, I'm sure you have it, ladies and gentlemen, on your DVR. Cause uh, okay, I'm back. All right. All right. Undertaker cut a pretty motivational speech right there last night, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, and we'll talk. We'll talk more about that here as I've returned uh, about last night's SmackDown 900. There was a lot of things that last night came out of that show were interesting. One of them, uh, changing of the guard once again in one particular area that I was not very, very happy about. And I know John wasn't either, and I'll talk about it as I plan on cutting in my skating little uh, meltdown slash niceness promo, if you will, coming here on the Revolution show here as we will be talking about last night's SmackDown number 900. Uh, we're now going to go to the number one moment of Survivor Series, according to John. So, John, what is our number one? And last but not least, I've been saving this moment, last but not least, 2014, um, Sting making his debut in the WWE, finally. Yes, good one. I, I forgot that again. You've, you've got some good ones tonight. You've got some good ones tonight. I like that, yes. Hall of Famer Sting, however, who had not been seen ever in the WWE, of course, showing up and helping... Um, Team John Cena and Dolph Howard beat Team Authority. Of course, that would set up Sting and Triple H, however, for WrestleMania 31. So, very good moments there, to say the least, in more ways than one. So, uh, thank you very much there, John. And 
definitely, if you want to share with our thoughts of what we thought tonight, we'd like to hear from you once, 724-444-7044, call ID 139925-POUND. Uh, as we said, folks, we'll be on here in just a little bit. Of course, Gerard T. Smith is in the newsroom right now getting you prepared for some of the top stories right now. John will be getting your birthdays and dates ready here shortly. As we take you out tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we're about to wrap up here, as we said, folks. However, don't forget, of course, we got an action-packed uh, week, uh, rest of the week lined up for you. Starting off with Top Heel tomorrow night at 7 p.m., ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully, Gerard and Michelle will be on. We will let you know the caller ID or ch- Mr. W. Sir, Chad Hinshaw will hopefully let us know what that caller ID is. I forgot what it is right now, but uh, hopefully tomorrow night Gerard and uh, Michelle will be back on the air with you. If not tonight, then tomorrow night at 7 p.m. with Top Heel Inc. Friday night, of course, Michelle will try to make it on, of course, hopefully for Women's Revolution. And then, of course, we'll have a very special edition of Revolution Friday night as we'll be back on the air tomorrow, uh, tomorrow night's show. will be Wolfpack Radio. Call ID is 138521-POUND. Revolution will be off tomorrow night, but we'll be returning on Friday. Uh, also tomorrow night, possibly, uh, check it out at 9 o'clock that myself and possibly maybe John Gross will have our NXT and Survivor Series predictions for you all. Maybe a better two might be made with the gang, however, as uh, we will try to make it on Friday night. I will be, unfortunately, out of the uh, studio, unfortunately, due to a prior obligation. So, unfortunately, I will not be making it this Friday. Uh, but I will be returning on Saturday, folks, however, for the first of our two double whammy shows. And maybe I might call in early on Sunday, too. You never know. Um, anyway, before we wrap it up, uh, as we told you, folks, next Monday should be a great show. Hopefully next Wednesday for episode number 32, we will have the King and Queen joining us here at the debate table. But I do want to thank the Human Suplex Machine for coming in tonight, however, uh, giving us our top ten moments here in Survivor Series Moments History. Uh, before we uh, sign off for the night, I want to see if he has anything else to add. I know I don't have anything else to add at the moment. John, you have anything else to add right now? Not really. All right. Well, we'll see you in a few minutes here on Revolution. All right, man. You. All right, man. I'll see you then. All right. I want to take care of the rest for now. And that's John Gross, ladies and gentlemen. John has now left the airwaves for us, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to take you out for the evening, however, with a very special tune here. And how fitting this tune is appropriate, ladies and gentlemen, is entitled Next Big Thing. And why is it called the Next Big Thing? Well, guess what? It's because of the big epic showdown, the rematch coming up this Sunday at Survivor Series involving Bill Goldberg and the Beast Incarnate, Brock Edward Lesnar. Yes, folks, be sure to check it out this Sunday. But in the meantime, we're going to take you out with Brock's team. How I know if Michelle was here, she'd like to hear it. So Michelle, Gerard, everyone else, for you Brock and Goldberg fans, this is for you, Howard. We'll see you in a little bit on Revolution. Thank you for listening to us tonight. Have a great night, everyone. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Same time, same place, however, here next week at 8 p.m. So, for John Gross, the human suplex machine, this is the Iceman saying so long from ringside, and we'll talk to you again later in just a little bit, and we'll be back here at the debate table next Wednesday night. Have a good night, everyone.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.